the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, once again, as we're tearing through the offseason, going by super quick at this point, uh, back to talk some Conference USA. And throughout the offseason, we've had some folks on who uh, cover specific teams within the league a little more closely than uh, myself or my co-host Eric Henry do. Uh, so today, we are diving into the defending conference champs, the UAB Blazers, of course. And to help us do that, he is the UAB beat writer on AL.com and uh, also covers some uh, prep stuff as well. We caught him in the middle of a baseball doubleheader, actually. And you can follow him on Twitter at Dudley Do Right with a W A L. Uh, so please do that after the show. But uh, Mr. Evan Dudley, thank you so much for coming on today, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, look, you know, been looking forward to doing it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And also greatly appreciate you making time in between the busy, uh, busy prep schedule. Now I understand you're covering some baseball down there. And, um, of course you got to get it in weather, you know, obviously oh, yeah. out during the summer as oh, well. Uh, it's, it's, a oh, yeah. we just had a crazy ending too. Uh, there were a uh, team was down by five in the bottom of the seventh and they almost had it in, uh, to tie it up. And then a, uh, forced out at first, uh, ended, ended up calling it at the end. So they ended up not able to complete the rally, but it was a fun end and it should be fun to write. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I, uh, you know, other than football, gotta love when baseball's in full swing. Um, oh, so yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get it started then with, uh, Eric, I believe you kind of had some, uh, or no, I'm sorry, Eric. Did you want to take first crack at it, or did you want me to? Um, I mean, I guess you teed me up, so I'll take first. Cr- I'll take first crack, and we'll uh, kind of start right. with some of the off-field stuff. And once again, Evan, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time here, as we've been able to go around the horn. The Conference USA beat writer uh, family, so to speak, is uh, pretty tight knit and pretty. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a specialized uh, coverage group, so appreciate yourself as well as, as, well as Glenn Hill and Jake Elman. Andy Morgan coming on and talking about USA football, but I'm going to start it off uh, off the field here. Everyone who follows the UAB program kind of knows the situation. You know, the story's been told. The, the program was shut down, and they've managed to come back from the dead, literally. Uh, first thing first, what's the relationship between UAB and the city of Birmingham? You know, given the fact that the program was shut down, how much has changed between then and now as far as maybe a potential love affair with uh, the UAB Blazers and the city of Birmingham? Uh, I think, personally, I think it's light and day. I, I grew up in the state of Alabama, went to, went to college at the University of Alabama, but uh, I've always kind of, you know, had my eye on UAB. You know, it's another D1 school in our state, and, you know, they have a cool mascot, you know, with the dragon. So I always kind of looked after that. But, you know, coming before that time, before it was shut down, you know, it was kind of obvious. And I can speak from what I've seen, and, you know, and I never attended a game, so that should let you know something. But there wasn't as much of a much of as support as there is now. You can see that just in the attendance numbers. I mean, they they led Conference USA the year they returned. I think they were second or third this past year, and uh, they've definitely been uh you know supporting the city of Birmingham has really gotten behind this team. Uh, you know, and, and it used to be a basketball school. What UAB used to be known as uh, with Bartow coming in and uh, building a baseball program. And when the football program came in, you know, it, it's had some support at times. And you know, they've even had some, you know, some great players. You know, you got Joe Webb, you got uh, Daryl Hagney. Uh, uh, obviously, you got a uh, uh, Roddy White um, played many years for the Falcons, All Pro receiver there. Uh, I think he was a first round pick for UAB. So. You know, they've, they've had some history, but since the return, it's been, you know, night and day. Uh, the support is there. You can even see it in the uh, 
uh, in the travel, you know, uh, uh, look at the Conference USA uh, championship game last year. And, you know, from my account, I would say probably UAB fans probably outnumbered MTSU fans in their own stadium. Yeah, and you mentioned that. It's been a really key point, once again, just kind of the fan support to really pick up. And that was one of the things that uh, Mr. Ray Watts, the president of UAB, kind of kind of mentioned in his, you know, now infamous speech to the players. And uh, mm-hmm. for those of you who haven't seen it, you know, it's, it's legendary on YouTube. I'm sure you can just Google Ray Watts UAB and it'll come right up. But uh, two-part question here. One, uh, what is Mr. Ray Watts' popularity, you know, whether it be – uh, whether it be with students or kind of around the university itself. And then as far as in the city of Birmingham himself, uh, what is his popularity? And then the second part of that question, he's kind of touched on it, fan support. Just how much has the fan support kind of, you know, risen since the, the initial incarnation of UAB football? Uh, starting off with the first part of that question with Ray Watts, uh, as far as fans, students that kind of support for Ray Watts, uh, it seems to be mixed at times. There, there are people that seem to kind of put that behind them and just accept the fact that, you know, he's here now and he's he's out there and he's supporting the football program now, uh, you know, you know, publicly. And so some people are just, you know, trying to leave that behind and move forward. While some people still kind of hold a grudge over that. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to judge to say whether you should or shouldn't because uh, I've never had my football program taken or taken away. So it's one of those things that not many people experience. So you can't really describe those emotions yourself, but definitely as far as the, the fan base, uh, it's still kind of mixed uh, emotions towards Ray Watts. And as far as the city of Birmingham, uh, I mean, including with those, uh, obviously you got your fan support there, but uh, as far as the city of Birmingham, it's still pretty much a working relationship with him being the president. He's a UAB alum. Uh, UAB is a top medical school in the country, in the world. You know, you know, great things happening there uh, as far as the academic side and the research side. And, uh, and Watts probably plays a lot more of that part. And so he still has a good relationship with, I believe, you know, the workings of the city of Birmingham. But as far as the fan support, it's still kind of mixed. And uh, what was the second part of the question? Excuse me. No, yeah. The second part of that question was just as far as the fan relationship, how much has that really kind of risen since the first incarnation of UAB with, you know, it, like you mentioned, none of us here have had our football program stripped from us. And, and you know, whether uh, those of us who all have alma maters and, you know, support the football team in some form or fashion for getting into, you know, journalism and communications. Um, but it's kind of hard to put put yourself in, in, in the fan's shoes and say, hey, what's it like to have the, the program stripped from you? So just what is the fan support coming from the first incarnation of UAB to now uh, having the team back uh, in Birmingham? Well, uh, when it began, it was kind of, you know, it was a club team, like a lot of schools like this when they start their football programs. And eventually uh, they worked their way up through the different divisions, became a uh, division one, uh, I guess, at that time during the 90s. I guess, yeah, it would have just been a division one because they still had the separation. They hadn't created FBS and FCS at that point, but uh, they eventually worked their uh, way up to FBS level. And, you know, they had some some success here and there, went to one bowl game during that. But uh, like I said, you know, the support, you know, it wasn't overwhelming support. You know, the people, it was mostly probably alumni more than anything and students that supported it. And there wasn't as many outside fans, which, uh, which just seems to be a something they're working towards now. Uh, I know Mark Ingram, the athletic director, uh, you know, I'm just going to paraphrase, paraphrase what he's told me before, uh, but, you know, he wants to make fans out of Alabama and Auburn fans, you know, in this state, you know, when they're not watching their team, hey, you can come to UAB and watch those, you know, because we're not trying to compete with you guys. We want we want your fans to be our fans as well. And so that's that seems to have carried, uh, you know, over into, this, uh, into the new revitalization of the program. And you 
just look at it from uh, that perspective of, you know, a lot more fans who were not Blazer fans before seem to have uh, jumped on it. And, you know, probably more so because of the national story of it, you know, of the program dying, then being brought back. Because it's not like the SMU where it was killed off for, you know, you know, uh, violations of NCAA uh, standards and uh, things of that nature, but it was actually cut for uh, monetary reasons as they, as they, as they say, uh, there's a lot of good reporting from uh, some of our other reporters several years ago, whenever this went down and they would have a little bit more clarification if you can go back and find those stories, but it's definitely, uh, it's definitely grown since, uh, since it came back. So I guess it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you don't know what you got till you, till it's gone. And now that it's back, you know, people are much more grateful and, you know, showing up, buying gear and, you know, all those sorts of things whenever you're building a program back up. I'm glad you mentioned, you know, both Alabama and Auburn. And for those of you listening, we have Evan Dudley of AL.com covers UAB football on the line with us. And, you know, covering FIU, uh, it's kind of a similar situation. I like it to UAB in a sense in that, FIU really is, they're not even, you know, little brother. They're, they're behind the, for the Seminoles, they're behind the Gators, they're behind the Hurricanes, really in terms of relevance in Florida and especially South Florida. So mm-hmm. with UAB, uh, just how much of Birmingham is War Eagle or Roll Tide? And just in comparison of support, you know, because I, I think you made a good point that UAB isn't trying to convert those fans to UAB fans as much as they are saying, hey, Support, you know, Auburn, support Alabama, and, hey, just remember that we're here, too. Exactly. And uh, as far as the city of Birmingham, I think historically it's always been kind of about 50-50 as far as Alabama and Auburn fans. Uh, it's probably why the Iron Bowl was played in Birmingham and at Legion Field for so many years. It was, you know, centralized in the state of Alabama, a lot of business in Birmingham. So a lot of people from those fan bases as well as just alumni themselves are living in Birmingham and working and living in Birmingham. But uh, as you said, you know, uh, and like I said, uh, uh, Mark Ingram, the AD, has said, you know, he wants to, you know, com- not convert these fans, but just bring them along for the ride. You know, it's not so much of a bandwagon mentality as is, you know, while you're rooting for your teams, come come root for our teams too. But if I had to say if there's one side that might be a little bit more so supporting UAB, uh, it'd probably be the Auburn fans because there's always been somewhat of an animosity between Alabama and UAB supporters, uh, mostly due to, you know, uh, with Bartow back in the late uh, late 80s, early 90s, and they actually beat Alabama in basketball in an NIT game. Uh, so they have a 1-0 record against Alabama. So there's always a little bit of animosity. But then there's some of us who just, you know, never seen to, you know, really care about that. I'm an Alabama alumnus, and I've never, you know, felt that way towards UAB. I've never kind of bought into that whole animosity. Looking forward to the future of UAB football, you know, we know that there are plans for new facilities that have come with the team and the funding and the winning uh, plans for a new stadium as well as uh, football facilities. And I say this sarcastically, Evan, uh, only because I actually made the trip up to Legion Field last year when FIU had uh, a game canceled against Alcorn State and got you rescheduled at Legion Field. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> has Legion Field leaked on you? And once again, I say that sarcastically. That's not in a, in a way to degrade Legion Field. And it's just, uh, you know, kind of a, a cheeky way to say, hey, uh, the stadium has seen better days. So uh, essentially my question here, uh, Evan, is that Legion Field, what's the state of the stadium now, and uh, what are the plans for the future as far as getting UAB in a new facility? Well, as uh, to answer the, the first question, uh, I've never actually been leaked on in uh, Legion Field. Uh, the press box is pretty uh, pretty tight as far as that uh, as that goes, so you, you don't have to worry about any leaks or anything. But uh, Legion Field is very – it's a very old stadium, but it's also a very historic stadium. You know, you 
so many Iron Bowls were played in that uh, stadium. Uh, you also had uh, Olympic soccer during 1996, during the Olympic Games in Atlanta. Uh, I believe I was an uh, eighth grader in high school and actually marched the Olympic parade in the downtown Birmingham. Uh, but we had Olympic soccer there. Uh, had the Birmingham Iron with the AAF until it was uh, unceremoniously uh, disbanded a few weeks ago. Uh, and the strange thing about the Birmingham Iron is they – never really pulled the amount of people that UAB was pulling in at their state at, at Legion Field. But as far as the plans going forward, uh, everything's pretty much been approved for the new stadium and groundbreaking has been done. And uh, construction should start sometime between, uh, you know, this summer and in the fall. And they've already got name rights. Uh, Protective Life Insurance here in Birmingham has uh, got the name and rights. So the stadium will be Protective Life Stadium. And it will be the new home. Uh, they're expecting to open that probably in the 2021 season. And it will be about probably about 45000 but they can expand to 55000 by bringing in additional seats. Uh, they've kind of planned that out because they want more amenities for, uh, for the fans because a lot of people are staying at home these days and watching games. So they want to make it more fan-friendly. And so there's a little bit less capacity. But uh, personally, I think that would be perfect for uh, UAB and their fan support. Yeah, the uh, the in-game versus at-home experience is a, is a debate that Joe and I have had this podcast many times. Uh, kind of shifts and can go on the field here, and I'm going to wrap it up here and then pass it off to Joe after this one. The Blazers have really been a running team the past couple of years, and it, simply put, you know, that's something that can happen. We have one of the best backs in the conference. In my opinion, it's between him and Charlotte's Benny LeMay, uh, excuse me, the him being UAB's uh, Spencer Brown. I'm looking at the name and I didn't say it, uh, between Spencer Brown and Benny LeMay for who's the top back in the conference. So obviously mm-hmm. that provides a lot of stability in the running game. Is there any reason to think that they shift away from that in the coming year? I don't think they'll so much shift away, but I think they'll – They'll probably add a little bit more uh, passing, especially vertical passing now that uh, Tyler Johnson has fully taken the rounds. Uh, uh, A.J. Uh, Early, uh, a great leader, and uh, as Bill Clark has said, you know, he, he's a warrior-type guy. You know, he went in there. He probably did more damage with his legs than he ever did with his arm. But the guy was a leader. He was tough. And near the end of last year, he, uh, you know, he had a shoulder injury, and he just, you know, he couldn't do so much anymore. And that, and that probably goes into the – you know, you see uh, UAB lose, uh, you know, 27-3, to 3, I believe, uh, in the final game of the regular season against Middle Tennessee. And then the next week they start Tyler Johnston and they end up winning the game, uh, although it was a strange ending if we all remember that one. Uh, but as far as, uh, you know, as far as the offense, I, I see them kind of branching out a little bit more because uh, Johnston proven he can uh, put the ball downfield, uh, stretch it vertically. Uh, in the bowl game, we saw that with Xavier Obosi, uh three touchdowns, three long touchdowns. I think when I'm uh, the cornerback probably fell down, but uh, you know all of them were very long balls. Uh, Tyler's got great accuracy on that. Uh, he's a great leader, and uh, obviously he learned a lot from sitting behind AJ. And I, I think just with his talents and his understanding of the system, because he's been there his entire career, uh, he even had a medical red shirt. So technically, he would be a you know probably a senior at this point, but uh, he's coming into this next year as a red shirt uh, sophomore, I believe, or a red shirt junior. I can't remember which, but uh, he'll be a he'll definitely be a pinpoint of their offense, being able to distribute the ball, uh, especially with some new receivers and having to work behind a new offensive line. Absolutely. And uh, Evan, you kind of, we kind of touched on Spencer Brown a little bit. Um, Obviously he's been really important to that offense the last couple of years. Um, And now just coming in, changing his number to uh, number four next season, which should be interesting, but uh, just how, Is is Spencer Brown to this offense, in your opinion? And uh, is there a viable number two running back to help take some of the workload from him in the in the coming year? 
He's definitely uh, very critical to their uh, success. You could see it in last year. He started getting a little bit beat up near the end of last year. He, uh, I think he had one carry in the final game against Middle Tennessee. He tried to give it a go, but uh, just could, didn't feel it after that first carry. But he was able to get some rest, come back in the championship game and the bowl game, uh, played well in those. But he's been very critical, critical to their success. And uh, it's actually kind of one of the interesting questions coming out of the spring. They had, uh, obviously, last year they had Jerrion Street transfer in, uh, Kingston Davis transfer in. Uh, Jerrion Street has moved to the star position on defense and has been playing well throughout the spring. Uh, Kingston Davis uh, is not longer with the team. Uh, he got into some uh, some trouble. Uh, I won't go too much into that. Uh, he kind of had his time in the limelight there for a little while. So, I mean, I, I don't feel, feel too much uh, – uh, need to go into too much of him but with those two guys out you have kind of lucius stanley who's kind of proven himself on the field as a as a little bit of a number two hasn't got a lot of work but uh they went into the spring with four healthy backs into the spring game because they had spencer out for routine surgery they had whirling port pollock who had a good spring up until he got injured before the game and they had jonathan hayden who was a rock receiver but was out last year with an injury he's coming back and also um, injured his ankle in the uh, in spring practice so they had four healthy backs now, the surprise was Larry Wooden. He's a Spain Park uh, high school kid, a lo- lo- local local kid from uh, Birmingham area. Uh, he went to Arkansas State and transferred back to UAB, and he had a really good spring game, ran behind the kind of the new offensive line they had. I think he had about 95 yards and uh, had some good breakaway speed, could break tackles. So Larry Wooden and Lucius Stanley, it might be more of a committee of those two to kind of build that you know viable number two back and just kind of do a two-for-one special with those guys. Gotcha. And just out of sheer curiosity, you mentioned Kingston Davis and, uh, you know, he of, of course had his chance with, with the football program and we don't have to go into what happened with him because we ourselves have covered it, uh, several times on this very show. But, uh, is there any update on what's maybe next for him that you know of? Um, I have not really heard much, uh, of anything about him. The last thing I'd uh, seen was when he was actually, uh, you know, was arrested and uh, got his squeeze report. And uh, that was pretty much the last thing we had heard from them. Uh, he's no longer, you know, obviously he's no longer with the program. He's not in school anymore. But uh, as far as uh, from what I've heard from any sources or anything, because he's from Prattville, so he's from locally from Alabama, but I've heard nothing. He's almost kind of disappeared off the face of the planet at this point, which, you know, if I was in his situation, I would probably do the same. Sure, sure. Certainly understandable. Um but uh, you mentioned that going into the spring, they had the, uh, the four back lineup in there. Um, what are some of the other key notes from the spring? Obviously, with uh, you know it being almost the summer at this point, a lot of schools are going into finals week. Um, but uh, how's how the team look in spring ball this year? Well, uh, offensively, uh, lost a lot of guys on offense. You lost four guys uh, on the offensive line who were starters. Luckily, they bring back you know two year starter lead to four. One of two guys left from the 2014 team uh, in Bill Clark's first year, along with the uh, kicker, Nick Vogel. Uh, but the offensive line seems to have uh, kind of supplanted itself somewhat in the spring, although there's still some battles uh, going on around the kind of the right tackle and the guard positions. But uh, with the spring, it was uh, Kobe Raglan at left tackle, David Galton at left guard, Dufour at center, uh, returned to that position. Andrew Smith at right guard and Patrick Nuss at right tackle. And that seems to be the first group right now. Now, obviously, there will be some more competition in the fall. And along with offense, uh, they lost a lot of receiving. Uh, I believe it was their top five pass catchers. Uh, they returned two guys that had a few starts and some yardage uh, and I think maybe one touchdown between the two. 
But Austin Watkins, uh, he ended up getting a red shirt last year. Uh, the four-game red shirt rule probably helped UAB more than they probably originally thought it would, uh, especially with some of the JUCO uh, transfers they had in last year. But Austin Watkins had an incredible spring. Uh, Kendall Palm, excuse me, Kendall Palm is a he's kind of one of those hybrid guys. He can get out there and wide receiver. He can get back in the backfield. I believe he had a 64-yard touchdown run against Coastal Carolina last year. And uh, you got some other guys like T.D. Marshall, Sedarian Copeland. He's back from an injury last year. Myron Mitchell, he was a Sanford, Sanford transfer. Um, or I, Actually, I believe that was T.D. Marshall. T.D. Marshall was a Sanford uh, transfer. Myron Mitchell, uh, he was a local Alabama kid, but uh, he, I believe he went to Butler Community College out in Kansas. But that's uh, kind of how the offense is uh, looking right now, uh, just kind of getting that offensive line. Because once they get that set, they'll be able to run the ball, obviously with Spencer Brown, and be able to open it up on the pass. Uh, defensively, uh, obviously you lost a lot of guys on defense, but luckily they kind of bring back a starter in each group. You got Garrett Marino on the defensive line, uh, just a big old guy, mean, but also kind of pretty nice guy off the field. But uh, he had a, I believe he had a fumble return against Tulane last year, uh, kind of showcased a little bit of speed. Uh, along that defensive line, you got Fish McWilliams, who's uh, done really well in the spring, along with Michael Fairbanks, uh, Antonio Moultrie, who was also a, a teammate of Fish McWilliams in high school. Um, Linebacker, you have Fitzgerald Mofor coming back as a starter. Uh, Chris Small, who played a little bit of linebacker and star last year, had a big year uh, at the tail end of last year. Uh, he's actually moved to linebacker uh, with Jerry and Shriek kind of moving to that uh, star position in the, in the secondary. And as far as the secondary, you got Bronte Harris and uh, Dejon Turner, both starters returning. And Dejon's kind of playing in safety with Bronte still holding down a cornerback position. But uh, you got a lot of young guys kind of uh, buying for playing time. Uh, C.D. Daniels, Starling Thomas, these were uh, two freshmen last year. They were able to uh, actually take their freshman year. They weren't, weren't redshirted because they actually had enough uh, playing time. Uh, you got Will Bowler, uh, Will Dawkins, uh, Grayson Cash, a lot of guys coming up in that secondary. So I think it's more, you know, Bill Clark is a good coach. And so he's going to be able to get these guys and really build them up, uh, you know, and having those leaders back in those each position groups is going to be beneficial to them going into the fall. Absolutely. That uh, defense was actually the number one scoring defense in Conference USA last season for those listening. Um, so certainly a critical group there. And you mentioned a lot of the young guys that are going to be a big part of that team this season. Um, going back to last season though, uh, we talked about at the top of the show, how this team was able to, uh, win the league, obviously, uh, big rise to power for that program. In your mind though, Evan, what were some of the biggest factors in this program getting to the top of CUSA so quickly? I think whenever they came back, uh, they obviously there was a lot of support. They had a foundation that actually started to help benefit their athletic foundation. Uh, they were able to build a new, uh, operations complex, which is a, very fine building, uh, you know, just as good as some Power Five conference teams. So they've got some facilities, except for, you know, obviously the stadium, but that'll be coming in the next two years. Uh, but you got that, you got the kind of facilities that have been upgraded. And so there's kind of a, a, a little bit more appeal on that side. But also whenever they kind of redid this roster and brought in, they brought in a lot of JUCO guys and a lot of guys for some other Power Five teams that maybe not may not have gotten another chance at their uh, at their current school when they were at a power five program and they were able to come and get some playing time and actually get the start. So a lot of these guys with experience in JUCO and other power fives definitely helped them as well as some of the younger guys. So you got Spencer Brown, you know, he came on that first season. He was a you know freshman that year, uh, you know, straight out of a uh, uh, Mortimer Jordan just north of Birmingham. So it, it, right now it's starting you can kind of start seeing the uh 
transformation from a JUCO heavy team to a more of a balanced kind of team as far as JUCO and and uh, prep players are concerned. But I think that's kind of helped a lot, uh, kind of getting this off the ground, was just having so many uh, guys come in and be experienced, not to mention just Bill Clark being a good coach. Uh, he took over a Prattville program, his first head coaching job. Within two, three years, he had him as a 6A power in Alabama, and he won two or three championships, I believe, before he took over as D.C. for South Alabama when they started their program. But uh, And he's also got great assistant coaches. He's got guys he coached at Prattville who went on uh, to success up elsewhere in the SEC. Larry Smith, receivers coach, played quarterback at uh, Vanderbilt. You had Cal Tatum play offensive line and defensive line at Alabama. Nick Gentry, who came in last year as the outside linebackers coach, uh, which obviously that was an upgrade, as you see from Jamel Garcia-Williams, Stacey Keeley, what they were able to do last season. And uh, he also played for, uh, you know, Bill Clark at Prattville, went on to Alabama, was a co-defensive MVP with Courtney Upshaw in 2011. Uh, Nick Saban was actually quoted as saying that, you know, he's going to be a great coach one day. You know, he had, you know, had a lot of interest in what he could do as a coach. So I think I think it's a lot of those factors, the coaching, the roster build in the beginning, as well as the sport, because in the beginning, uh, the first game back, they had 45,000 in Legion Field, which was pretty much a UAB attendance record, you know, up to that point, besides, I think, maybe a few Power 5 schools that came in back in the early 2000s. That Bill Clark coaching tree is already starting to take shape. That's, uh, that's great to see, considering how... Uh... Well, just what this program has been through the last couple of years. Um, but uh, talking more about last season, uh, this team obviously had the best defense in the league, super strong running attack. Evan, in your mind, what's the biggest thing that has to change about this UAB team this season in order to uh, repeat the success they've had? Uh, they'll have to stay extremely focused. Uh, obviously, in the past two years, they've lost a game there where they probably shouldn't have lost the game. Obviously, they were Charlotte in the first year. Last year, it was Coastal Carolina. But also, within that loss, it kind of it kind of rotted the ship and got them focused. As you can see, they got came home for two games, got wins. They went on the road to Louisiana Tech, got North Texas. So that kind of focused and attention to detail, which Clark is very adamant about, and you know, in his in his program, and he's also one to take you know to take those losses and blame on himself because he realizes that you know it's it's his job to get them prepared for games like that. So more more so the attention to detail, not taking anyone for granted, uh, and not relying on you know the past successes of what these uh of what these teams have done the past two years because this is a totally new team. Obviously, you got guys that's been a part of this success the past two years, but there's a lot of guys that are new to this, and they're going to have to listen to these older guys, and they're going to have to focus and you know not just rely on the laurels of the past teams. One more question about last year's team. Uh, going back to the last two weeks of the season, UAB loses big in that uh, last game of the regular season to Middle Tennessee State. Fast forward one week after that, and they beat that same MTSU team in a dramatic Conference USA championship game. Um, and the time you spent uh, covering the team and being around them in that week, uh, what was the adjustment they made to kind of come back out and uh, achieve what they did in the championship game? Uh, in the final regular season game, I think it was just kind of a perfect storm of uh, of just oddities that occurred to that team. They had a couple offensive linemen uh, that were out that week. Uh, one of them actually came down with the flu like two days before. One of them got uh, pulled from the game, I believe, in the first half after uh, he might have taken a swing, I, I believe, you know, things that you just can't do. Uh, Spencer Brown was not starting the game. He had one carry. Uh, 
probably, I think, for zero yards, actually. And uh, A.J. Early started, which he was still kind of, you know, fighting a little bit of a uh, shoulder injury because uh, Tyler was taking a week off because he had gotten a little bit bumped up the week before against Texas A&M. So I think at that point, maybe with having already uh, taken up the Western Division crown, I think maybe Clark might have just been trying to play his cards close to his best at that point because you could see in the next week it was a totally different team. You had Spencer back. The offensive line was back. Tyler Johnson was starting. He was throwing downfield. The defense was uh, a little bit – I think the defense obviously too probably learned a little bit from that first game with uh, 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 I can't remember his name all of a sudden, uh, Stockstill. Uh, Stock still, you know, played a very good game that final uh, regular season game, threw all over that UAB defense, and he still had success in the championship game. But uh, the defenders were a little bit more keyed on on what on his tendencies and what he was able to do. So I think that had a lot to do with the the changeover in that one week was having a lot more guys back, you know, having your offensive line back, your starting running back, uh, the quarterback who had won you the Western Division and who was you know opening up the offense a little more, and just having a little bit more experience on defense after seeing Stock still for a week. Got it. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And I believe it was just that uh, it all came down to that last play when MTSU had that crazy penalty. And uh, what was your reaction watching that play? Do you remember? Uh, I remember watching it and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, they're going to get this kickoff. They're going to have a chance to maybe get down, get a field goal. Uh, I, I think that might have won by three points. I'm not. I, I don't remember it exactly. It's been a few months back, uh, okay. but it, it was a ch- it was a chance for MTSU to have a chance to either tie or uh, or win the game there. But after that uh, penalty occurred, I was just kind of stunned. I was like, "Is this how this is going to happen? Is this how this ends? Because if it is, I can go ahead and start writing my sidebar right now on this right now because this might be the oddest ending I've ever seen to a championship game." It's definitely up there as far as I'm concerned. Um, Evan, before we let you go, understand uh, you and I have some similar musical tastes. Uh, Eric was telling me when saw the uh, Dave Matthews band a couple days ago. How'd that go? Yeah, uh, it was actually last night. And, uh, there was actually a rumor uh, from one of my colleagues, AO.com, that uh, John Bell from Widespread Panic might sit in. He was uh, at Regions, uh, the Regions Tradition today uh, playing golf, but unfortunately he did not uh, did not attend last night, but he also had to tee off at 9 a.m., so... I'm not hating on JB today, but uh, but Dave was excellent. It was a very old school show. Uh, they opened up One Sweet World, which was a kind of a throwback for me. You know, I'm I'm an old, you know, I'm 35 years old. Uh, I grew up in the 90s. Uh, you know, some real early Dave Matthews. So, uh, you know, it was real. It was a real good old school show. I really enjoyed it. And a couple of cool covers, Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. I'm a big 80s pop music fan, so that got me going. So it was a great show overall. Nice. It was a, it was an outdoor show. I'm assuming. Uh, yes, Oak Mountain Amphitheater, uh, one of the great locations in Alabama to go see a show. Uh, and they didn't close the Watchtowers, which is always good for me because they've done that forever for like 20 years. So I usually end up walking if they play that in an encore. <laughs> oh, man, I bet that was a lot of fun. I asked because on a few episodes of this show, uh, Eric's kind of grilled some of the beat writers about their top uh, their top artists. It usually falls somewhere in the uh, – some of the newer hip hop kind of categories and I cannot contribute at all. So it's nice to have a guest on the show with uh, more of my taste. So I appreciate Oh yeah, that. I'm, I'm very eclectic. Uh, you know, as far as hip hop, I'm more of a, an old nineties West coast, you know, Dre, NWA, things like that. Um, you know, I just love that West coast sound. Also, uh, one of my other degrees is in jazz studies. I got a minor in jazz studies. So I'm big on jazz, love jazz. I'm a bass player. I spent the twenties as a touring musician, actually, uh, going around the country, playing in different bands, uh, played rock and roll, jazz, uh, 
know, jam band type stuff, bluegrass. I've pretty much done it all because I've just, you know, I'm, music's a big part of my life. So, I, you know, I just try to soak all of it up. That's awesome. I, when the day eventually comes when we start that jazz podcast, Derek, we'll have to remember to, to get Evan back on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, I was going to say, you know, I mean, I was getting ready to uh, to opine as far as the uh, Dave Matthews band goes. But, I mean, I really think you, when you start talking to you know, some of the other writers about the musical taste and then Evan just jumps in with, you know, his entire history of, of uh, his musical talents. I mean, we definitely need to have a, uh, a second podcast as far as, you know, a, a musical debate and see if we can get this thing going. And uh, last thing, Joe, I will jump in and say this, because I do tend to give you a hard time about Dave Matthews band. And, yes, uh the rest of the beat writers taste tend to lean uh, to 2000 through current hip hop. But I do have a hot take for you. Uh, I do believe that uh cracked review by Hootie and the Blowfish is a uh, top 10 album in the history of albums. I, I think it's that um, important in the, in the, in the culture. I, I mean, I guess it depends on how old you are, but for, I think mm-hmm. if you're somewhere in our age range, uh, no matter who you are, it cuts across genres. You have to be able to appreciate cracked review. Oh yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. I would, I would agree. Yeah, Rudy had some good stuff for sure. Um, with that, Evan, we'll let you get back to work. But uh, for our listeners, of course, make sure you're following Evan on Twitter at d u d l e y d o w r i t e a l. Great to have another uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle fan on here as well, obviously. Um, but uh, make sure you're following his stuff, and uh, you can read it on al.com uh, throughout the season and throughout the off season as well. Uh, you can follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and check out the site every day for more G5 football goodness. And you can follow Eric on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. And you can follow myself on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore if you want. And with that, we will let you all get back to your day. Uh, Evan, thank you so much for coming on the show once again. And happy football watching, everybody. Yeah.